Oh, praise God. If you're new to church, welcome. Um, I'm believing that God can encounter you tonight. We didn't come here to speak about a dead God, but to be with God. So most religions you'll hear around the world, they would proclaim in some aspect that their God is love. Almost every religion proclaims their God is love. One of the unique things about Christianity is that our God is three in one. So every other God is just one, which that means this, if they believed that they were love, who were they loving before they created humanity? Themselves. So when you start asking yourself the question of why did God create you and I, it's actually because the three-in-one God wanted to invite you and us into the relationship they had been experiencing for all of time. So we get invited into the love triangle that they had had for all of time, loving each other. We get invited into that. And that's what Christianity actually is. Because every other God self-proclaimed love. Who are they loving? Just themselves. It's a self-indulged God. Pretty selfish to just love yourself. But God, our God is love, and we get invited into that triangle. And tonight when you came in here, you can encounter the love that they have been experiencing for all time. And I'm believing that that love can change you tonight. At the end of the night, we're going to pray for healings. We're going to see some miracles. You're going to pray for each other. What I love about this weekend is we've seen many miracles, but I haven't prayed for anyone. Because sometimes there's this mindset of the man on stage or the man of God, very kind of you to call me that, <laughs> needs to pray for me to see a healing, but it's actually available to every Christian. So we're going to pray for each other, and God is going to heal some people. And even during worship, I just felt there's someone in here who had a car accident many years ago and even struggling with the pain and not only the pain but the trauma from that accident and tonight God wants to heal you and he wants to set you free of that trauma <coughs> excuse me okay let's read a bible verse are you guys happy to read a bible verse I'm not going to make a joke about iPhones like I've been making all weekend here's why because my iPad pro keyboard stopped working this afternoon and I wonder if it's God trying to say something. Or one of you cursed my iPad Pro keyboard. So please take back your curse so it'll work again. So I'm holding back from the Samsung comment. But this is what Daniel chapter 11 says. And I'm just going to set a preface for where we're going to go tonight. It says in Daniel chapter 11 verse 32, it says this. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. Good word. No, I'm joking. It keeps on going to say this. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Some past, some different Bible translations say the people who know their God will be strong and do great things. So us as Christians, as we know our God, we will start to do great things. That's what I want to speak about today, that each one of you have a calling. Each one of you are here for a reason. On earth right now, not one person in this room was a mistake. You might have been raised to believe that. Maybe your parents weren't planning on having you. You still weren't a mistake. Because even the fact that you're here today means that you beat out millions of other sperm cells that night to get to the egg. You aren't a mistake. I don't know if you know that, but you aren't a mistake here tonight. The Bible actually says, weren't you born for such a time as this? And I love this idea because if you look through the whole of history, from the time Jesus came to now, there's been over 105 billion humans born. That's a lot of births, right? But you are here in 2019 in this room. Why? Why did God save you for right now? 
Why didn't he put you on the earth 200 years ago? Why didn't he choose to have you on the earth 500 years ago? Why not 100 years from now? You are sitting in this room tonight. You're on earth right now in Hamilton for a reason. God placed you here for a call. He has a call on your life. Each one of you are called by God to do something. You're on a mistake. God wants to use you. Let's close our eyes and pray one more time. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you that we are, as we know you more, we will do great things for you, God. That we were born for such a time as this, that right throughout eternity you looked and you said, now is the time I want to make that person, put them on earth in Hamilton for my purposes, for them to advance my kingdom. We love you, Jesus. We want to know you more because those who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. We want to know you more tonight, Jesus. We want to know you more tonight, Jesus. Amen. Tonight, my sermon title is Bringing a Knife to a Gunfight. Bringing a Knife to a Gunfight. How many of you know if you're in a gunfight, you don't want a knife? That's a deep revelation. Thank you for that. Amen. Well, are we going to have a good night? I should travel with you and just seat you on the front row, bring, bring my own encouragement everywhere I go. <laughs> I'm a, uh, I graduated from the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry a few years ago, and I lived in Redding, California at the time, which was a reasonably sketchy part of California. There's about, it's a small city, maybe 80,000 people, and, and there's over 5,000 homeless people in the city. A lot of people joke and say, God didn't pick Redding, he chose Bill Johnson. If you've been to Redding, you'd understand why people say that. And when I was in Redding, it was a time where God began to put on my heart to share the gospel with people, to lead people into an encounter with God's love. And I remember walking, I mean, I was driving one day down the road on my way to church, like an evening night tonight. And I was driving, and there was this homeless gentleman. I could tell he was homeless by the way he was dressed. He was riding his longboard on the side of the road. And God was doing this thing of where he was telling me to do things that I wasn't comfortable with doing. That's normally how God works. So he's like, stop your car and tell that man Jesus loves you. And I'm like... Like now or later, God, because right now I'm driving to church to worship you. It's not a good time. I'll be late to worship you. God didn't seem so worried about the inconvenience of interrupting my schedule. Surprise, I know. So I'm like, hey, bro, Jesus loves you. And he's like, oh, bro, thank you. I'm actually going to church. And I'm like, okay, well, I have a car. We're late already. Jump in the car. And I'm doing a good deed. I'm happy at this point. You know, I'm being a good Christian. And while we're talking, God says, offer this man to come and stay on your couch. Now I'm like, time out, God. I'm doing you a favor. I'm driving your son to church, and now you're going to tell me to put him on my couch. Now you have to remember, I'm a ministry school student. I've got things going on. And I'm 19 at the point. He's 46, 47. He could be my dad. And you're going to tell me to put him on my couch. Again, God wasn't so worried about the inconvenience of my schedule or my life. So I'm like, okay, God, I'll do it. I said I'll do anything for you. I said I'd be obedient to you. But it's a lot harder now because I've got, I have roommates too. Hey, guys, this is my new friend. Oh, nice to meet you. Why does he have his bags in a sleeping bag? Oh, well, I thought he could, you know, stay on the couch. And they were fine with it, luckily. And he began to stay on my couch. And it began to become some of the hardest months I experienced. Here's why. Because this gentleman staying on my couch, number one, was twice my age. Number two, he was making 800 US dollars a month from the government. That's good money. 
It's like 1,500 New Zealand dollars. Not bad for being homeless. So he's making more money than me, but he's on my couch. I'm like, I need some of your money. Can I lend 20 bucks today? And he comes in and he's like, listen, all my money got stolen this month, so I just want to stay for a month. I'll get back on my feet. And I'm like, yes, let's go. I'm going to help you budget. He has a sheet. He has a book for you, rich dad, poor dad. Read this book. I don't think he read the book. I've never read the book. Um, you know when you give advice that you've never done? But that was one of those moments. You need to read this book and you need a budget. I wasn't doing either, but he needed to do it. And I start budgeting and I'm like, hey, next month when it comes, this is what we're going to do. Groceries, you're going to save. We're going to get you an apartment. It's going to be amazing. He's depressed. Oh, I can't handle money. I can't do this. I can't do that. He's a bit discouraged. Every day I'm working with him. I'm like, okay, we're going to do this, A, B, and C. I'm a good, I'm just being a good Christian. The next month comes around. It's like the second of the next month. I think I've made it through the worst part. He comes up to me. He's like, hey, can I borrow 10 bucks? I'm like, oh, like your check hasn't cleared yet, right? Like it's coming through tomorrow. He's like, no, actually I lost it. And then he's like, this discouragement and shame comes on him. I can't handle money. I've lost it. And I'm like, oh God, another month of this. I'm like, okay, lost a bit of fire, but I'm still pushing through. I'm like, okay, next month we're going to do this, this, and this. Try doing that for five or six months. Eventually, I figured out he wasn't losing or getting stolen from. Something else was happening in the situation. But every time I would want to go into him and say, hey, you out of this house, God would always challenge me and say, you need to love him, not needing anything else in return. You need to become love to him. And I learned so much in that season because sometimes us as Christians, I'm about to get really intense for like 20 seconds, okay? Is that okay? Sometimes us as Christians, it feels like, imagine if Jesus was on the cross and he got himself off the cross. He said, you know what? You guys who are hurling insults at me and you're throwing stones at me, I'm not dying until you apologize. He still wouldn't be dead today. But sometimes we do that with people. I'm not going to love you until you love me back, else you'll never learn your lesson. Okay, we can snap out of that intense part right there. But isn't that so true? We treat other people completely differently to how God treated us. If I just love you through your problems, you'll never learn your lesson. Jesus didn't do that with you and I. I'm so thankful for that. He said even the people that they were throwing rocks at him, he was dying to love them. So I was in that situation getting lied to every day. I find out later on, way down six, nine months into the road, I'm still friends with that man. I find out he's struggling with meth and he gets set free of meth. Amazing story. Praise God. And... But I look back at that, and suddenly the people in church that used to frustrate me so much in school every day, that one person who just sings way too loud in worship, that one person that just annoys you every time, suddenly they weren't annoying me anymore. Because at home I had someone lying to me every day. I was like, you can actually sing as loud as you want. I would rather have you on the couch. You can come and sing as loud as you want. But now I look back at that season. I look back at that hard time. Yes, it might have been hard. Yes, might have, things might not have been easy. But I see that it was one of the most valuable seasons God ever had me in was that hard time. And there's a Bible verse in Romans 8, verse 28. It says that God will make all things work together for you and my good. What if we believed that no matter what we were going through? That God would make it work together for your good. Now, some things might not be from God. 
Because the Bible in John 10, 10 says the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but God came to give life. But even if something comes to steal, kill, and destroy in your life, God still promises that he'll make it work together for your good somehow. So no matter what happens, no matter how bad it is, no matter what the devil tries in your life, you can still know that somehow God's going to make it work together for your good. What if your first reaction to something going wrong was, God, I'm so excited because somehow you're going to turn this situation into something amazing. It's actually a promise from God. No matter anything you go through, somehow he'll make it work together for your good. God, Paul Manwaring says this, he says, God wastes nothing, he uses everything. That's a good word right there, I think at least. Thank you, bro. One, one hallelujah from the back. 10,000 praises. Look at what you just did. CJ, I was listening. God will make all things work together for your good. That's really good news for you. Because that means the devil can't win in your life. He attacks your family. God's going to make it work together for your good. He attacks you. Something goes wrong. God's going to make it work together for your good. And as I read, it reminds me of quite an interesting story, which I'm going to Share now, and it comes out of David and Goliath. Now, when you hear David and Goliath, you probably shut down slightly because you've heard it since you were four and a half years old. First Bible story after Jonah was probably David and Goliath. Jonah's number one, David and Goliath is number two. But I want you to hang with me for a few moments here as we speak about the story. David, because most of us know what happens, but David for years is just alone with the sheep, right? And God, that's all. He has nothing else. He has no significance from what he's doing. We can probably imagine though, because he spent so much time with God, that he knows that he's called for something. Are you with me? Like he, he knows deep down, if you've been spending that many hours worshiping God, you would know deep down somewhere you called for greatness. But he's just chilling with the lions and the bears and the story actually gets quite intense that he doesn't just kill lions. He doesn't just look after his sheep, but lions and bears try to kill him. Now that's not ideal. And, and I think sometimes we can just read through that and be like, oh, lions and bears came. Okay. First Samuel 17 verse 35. You don't have to turn there, but this is what it says. I went out after it, talking about a lion, and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. So you're like, okay, it was dead because you struck it. And then you, you took the lamb out of its mouth. I caught it by its beard. I'm like, I don't want to be smelling the breath of a lion. He caught the lion by its beard and saved it. So you can imagine David in this moment, he's out doing the father's business and he's like, God, where were you? You deserted me. God, where were you? I almost got killed today. Everything's going wrong in my life. Lions and bears are trying to kill me. I'm not having any significance from what I'm doing. No one's seeing what's happening to me in private, God. All these problems are going wrong. God prepares us in private for what he's going to do in public. See, but David finds his purpose, and God prepares him for his purpose in the secret place. If you want to find your purpose, you want to see what God's called you to do, you need to be in the secret place. Instagram, Facebook, your friends aren't going to show you what you're called to do. Only God can do that for you. You have to be able to get alone with God and say, God, I want to know you. I want to, because it says those who know their God will do great things. So David is alone. I always used to think, 
being in Bible school and different stuff, I used to think to myself, man, if I can just preach in a stadium, I will be so content, so fulfilled. I'll be so happy. If I can just get 500 followers on Instagram, God, I would have made it. I used to think that. After I'd preached on the stage, man, I'd feel so good. After I'd reached my calling, I'd feel so good. And I remember preaching on the stage in front of thousands of people. And I was like, man, this is going to be amazing tonight. I'm going to feel contentment. I'm going to have reached my calling. And I remember preaching, going back to my hotel room, lying in my bed, and being like, it's still just me. Nothing changed. Still the same me, still the same problems. You have to find contentment in the presence of God. Because your calling isn't going to give you contentment. Some of you weren't so sure, so Philippians 4. If you don't say amen, I keep preaching until people start saying amen, so it could be a long night at this rate. Ephesians chapter 4, this is Paul. Actually, first, Second Corinthians 11, and then we're going to flip, so keep a finger there, don't get angry because I changed. First Corinthians 11, and then we're going to jump to Ephesians chapter 4. And this is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. And this is what he starts saying in verse 23. And he's speaking about everything he's been through. He says, I speak as a fool, I am more. In labor abundant, in stripes above measure. When he says stripes, he's talking about being whipped. Okay? So, so listen, this gets a little bit graphic. In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, and deaths often. Who throws deaths into their story? I've died a few times. Prison, died a few times. And he just keeps going. From the Jews five times, I received 40 stripes minus one. Why 40 stripes minus one? Why not 39? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. I'm like, dang, bro, you have a testimony. Three times I was shipwrecked. Pretty wild. A night and a day I've been in the deep, which means the ship was wrecked and for a night and a day he just swam in the water. In journey often in perils of water. If you don't know what perils are, I googled it for you. It means in a very dangerous situation. I did the Google work for you. In perils of water, in danger of water, in perils of robbers. I would think robbers were always dangerous. In perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of cities, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often. I'm like, fastings can't be persecution, Paul. That was your decision. You, you can't throw that into the list. The rest I get, fasting's your choice. And in cold and nakedness. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Cold and nakedness is okay. So the guy's been through a lot. Shipwrecked three times, lost in the sea a day and a night, in lots of pearls, 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 however you pronounce it. A lot of those. And then you flip over to Ephesians 4, and the same guy that's been through all of that. That's probably more than anyone's been through in here. I could assume I could be wrong. If you've been shipwrecked for a day and a night, Jay would love to hear your life story after the service. Ephesians 4.11, this is what it says. The same person that's just... No, not Ephesians 4.11, sorry, Philippians 4. I was like, why are we going after evangelists right now? Some of you are like, how is he going to tie this in to evangelists? I'm like, yeah, bring everything back to being an evangelist. You have to preach the gospel. That's why Philip said that. I mean, Paul said that. Okay, Philippians 4.11. 
He said this, the same person who just mentioned all of that says this, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. If he can be content, you can be content. But he didn't find being content in his situation. He found it in relationship with God. So if there's anything in your mind that thinks in your life, if something changes, I'll be more content, you're wrong. That got intense again. I'll snap out of it. If anything changes, if you think if I can just get a better job, I'll be content. That's not how it works. If I just get more money, I'll be content. If I just reach my calling, I'll be content. No, because you find contentment alone by yourself with God. He is the source of contentment in your life. See, a lot of people, their calling has become an idol. Here's why. Because, because we seek our calling over we seek intimacy with God. I see a generation of Christians my age where their calling has become an idol. Everything they're doing is for their calling. We seek God for our calling. We read our Bible for our calling. Our callings become an idol. If you are more hungry for your calling, for success, than you are for intimacy with God, that thing has become an idol in your life. That's a good word, Dylan. Some of you did say it. I just added some extra encouragement. What things have become idols in your lives tonight? What have you been seeking over the presence of God? What things have you falsely allowed to maybe give you the thinking that you'll reach contentment through it? Just be honest with yourself now. Give it up to God. Say, God, I'm sorry that I thought when I'd have more money, I'd be happier. Because you can always have more money. Right? You can always have more. It's not going to give you the contentment you think. Now, yes, God wants to bless you. I'm not saying he doesn't want to bless you. I'm saying you don't need that to be happy if you have a relationship with God. I love David in the story because he knows he's called for greatness and suddenly his dad's like, hey, champ, you know your older brothers? If you have siblings, you'll understand. He's like, hey, champ, take these sandwiches to your older brothers who are at war. That's a big deal. Go and serve your brother's sandwiches. Right now, David is kind of like, he's fine with it. I would not do that for my sister probably. Now maybe. I want to say I would. I want to say I would. But it's a whole other moment when it happens. But David, who knows he's called for greatness, carries the sandwiches to his brothers. Now once he gets to his brothers, he realizes he's just walked kilometers to bring them sandwiches and they've been standing around for the last month, afraid of some guy. That's when I would be annoyed. I just brought you sandwiches and you've been on a camping trip. <laughs> but, you see, David wasn't too big to carry sandwiches. Serving is what unlocks your destiny. A lot of us want to fight Goliath, but we aren't willing to carry sandwiches. If you're too big to carry sandwiches, you're too small to fight Goliath. If you want to do great things, but you aren't serving in this church... You're probably too small to do great things. You want to do great things for God? Here's a good start. Start serving. Start greeting. Become an usher. They didn't even tell me to say this. I'm taking this out of a Bible passage where David, who's called to set a nation free, Andy, this is for you. He's carrying pulpits. God's called you to do more than that, Andy. But because of that heart, God can give you more. David. He's carrying sandwiches. A few moments later, he's setting a nation free. Serving is what unlocks your destiny. Get plugged in. Start serving.
Serving is what unlocks your destiny. And there's this beautiful moment where once David gets to the, to the war, he comes face to face with Goliath. And in this moment, he says what was considered a swear word back in the day. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? It's basically unbeep Philistine. It's a swear word, very rude word to say to someone. When we hear it, we're just like, that's very awkward. But back then, swear word. Swear word. Now awkward, back then, swear word. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's standing in front of me? And he says this powerful sentence where he says to the people in his army, he says, is there not a cause? See, now there was people in that army that day that were more qualified to fight Goliath. Jonathan had just fought hundreds of people. Jonathan's story is wild. Read it for yourself. One of the greatest people ever to fight. He's standing in there watching this Goliath. But David says, is there not a cause? How do you know what your cause is? Each one of you in this room have a cause on your life. How do you know what your cause is? This is how you know. You're passionate about something and you can't understand why others aren't. What are you passionate about that you can't understand why others aren't passionate about it? People are like, I don't understand why you don't have discipleship in your church. I'm like, you're the perfect guy. Why don't you do something about it? What are you passionate about that you can't understand why others aren't passionate about? It? Maybe it's God in business. Maybe it's God in politics. Whatever it is, what is your cause? God has a cause for you. God has you on earth for a reason. How do you know what is your cause? When you believe the outcome is worth giving your life for. What is worth giving your life for? When you're about to die on your deathbed, what would you look back and say was worth it giving all my years for that one cause? God has a cause for you. How do you find the cause in the secret place? How do you know your cause? What whatever area the devil attacks you in is normally a good indication of where God will use you. Wherever the devil's attacked you the most is probably where God's going to use you. I know even for me, I grew up with a speech impediment, struggling to speak. Now I go around the world preaching. Now that's just my example. Look at Moses in the Bible. He also struggled to speak. God used him to speak to a whole generation and to set a generation free. What areas has the devil attacked you in? That's probably a good indication of where God's going to use you. God makes all things work together for your good. So David in the story, he rocks up. And a lot of times in churches we hear, or every church, every kindergarten, we hear the story of David being the underdog in this fight. Once David's coming up against Goliath, Goliath is about, he's, he's taller than me. He's about seven foot tall. That's what scholars believe. He's wearing over 50 kgs of weights on him. Now you have to understand the slingshot that David's using is not the kid's slingshot that you grew up with. That you shoot it like this and you hope that it hits something. We have the idea sometimes that in the story he like shoots it and like flies through the air really slowly and somehow God makes it hit him in the head in the right spot and he falls down and it's this miracle how did that rock do this to a giant those slingshots were used as one of the main forms of weaponry in the army they would stand in the back and they would throw it from the back and it would regularly kill people 
Now, if you do the math of those slingshots, it wasn't like this. It was two string pieces with a piece of leather at the end. They would fling in a circle, and they could spin it in a circle six to seven times a second. And then he releases it. People have gone to that location and looked at the rocks, and they find the rocks in that valley are twice as dense as anywhere else in the world. So some scientists began to do some math. This is what they realized. That when you release those rocks, it's six or seven spins a second. There's something called stopping force, which is how the force something takes to stop. Obviously. <laughs> There's something called stopping force, and the stopping force is one of those rocks coming out of one of those slingshots. It's the same as a 45 caliber gun. Goliath has a knife. David has a gun. Bringing a knife to a gunfight. I'm here to tell you today, you aren't the underdog. David wasn't the underdog. Some of you, your whole childhood just got washed away. David was not the underdog. I don't know about you, number one, I would rather kill a seven-foot man than a lion and a bear. Right? Just logically. Just logically, a seven-foot man is much easier than a lion or a bear. So when he sees this, he's like, this is easy for me. Look at what I've fought in private. Now, other people might think he's the underdog, but he knows his history. He knows what he's been through. He doesn't care what other people think. Who cares what other people think about you? What has God prepared you for? You aren't the underdog. The devil brought a knife to a gunfight. The devil brought a knife to a gunfight. You aren't the underdog in this world. David, he brings five stones. He doesn't even need the five. It was easier than he thought. Even David was shocked how easy the fight was. He only uses one of the five stones he picks up. People might have disc discounted him, but he knew who he was and he knew who God was. He knew God. He knew what he was called to do. God was preparing him in those lonely moments when he thought he was alone, when he thought he was going to die. Some of the hardest moments of his life resulted in him seeing a nation set free. I wonder if right now God starts to highlight moments in your life where you thought God had left you. But actually those are the moments God was preparing you for something. That those were the lions and the bears in your life. Yes, you might have gone through a hard family season. Yes, your business might have gone through stuff. But God was preparing you in those moments. Because if he hadn't fought the lion and the bear, he couldn't have fought Goliath. I want to challenge you. If you have things in your life that you've been running from in secret, you aren't going to be able to one day fight Goliath. Deal with the things in secret that God is, that, that are attacking you, if that makes sense. Deal with those. Because God is preparing you for a Goliath. Each one of you in this room have a Goliath. Each one of you in this room have a calling. Each one of you are here for a reason. Without the lions and the bears, you couldn't have fought Goliath. You might have gone through hard times, but God's going to make you work together for your good. God's got a call for you. you. You're here for a reason. I want each one of you in this room to find your cause. To find it in the secret place. What God's called you for. Why he's put you on the earth. Each one of us have different causes. Each one of us have different reasons we're on earth. Why are you here? What is your Goliath? What are you willing to give your life for? Can we stand in this moment?
Was that helpful to anyone? The devil brought a knife to a gunfight. You aren't the underdog in this world. You aren't the underdog in your battle. Because God's prepared you. He is preparing you. Is there not a cause? What is your cause? Where's the devil trying to attack you, but God's going to use you? I pray that the Holy Spirit even highlights to you in this moment what, are your, what your cause is. To maybe the things you've been through where you thought God had left you alone, but actually He was preparing you. He was preparing you for victory. He was preparing you to set people free. What is your cause? Jesus, we love you. We love your presence. God, we thank that each one of us have a cause. Each one of us a call to make a difference. That your word says that those who know you will be strong and do great exploits. We want to know you because that's the key to doing great things is knowing you. Knowing Him is the key to doing great things. God, we're sorry for finding contentment in other places, for trying to find happiness in other places. God, we come back to just being content right now in Your presence, right where we are. God, we thank You that You make everything work together for our good. Some people's perspectives are changing in this moment where You thought God left you. He didn't leave you. He's preparing you. You thought you wasted that season, that mistake you, that mistake you made. Remember, you walked away from God for 10 years and then came back. You think it's a waste. There's no such thing as a waste with God. There's no such thing as a waste with God. He wastes nothing. He uses everything. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. He, he wastes nothing. He uses everything. Amen.